Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chen. What's your tagline, Stefan? Two grapes. Great. (laughs) Sam Schultz is here as well. Sam, what's your tagline? 30% tired. Sari Riley is also here with us today. Sari, are you too young for cassette tapes? (laughs) No, I know what they are, and I think I've used them in a car before. (laughs) But I never... Part of not growing up with a lot of music in my life also means that I never had like my own cassette tape player or my own cassette tapes. My mom got either an early version of the iPod or Zune and I put exactly four songs on it because those are the four songs that I knew. Graduation (laughs) by Vitamin C, Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson. I forget the other two, but something by My Chemical Romance. Those are both really good, though. Yeah, that's a banger of a party, just those four on repeat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, what's your tagline? Old Cal Rodeo. That made me sad. And I'm in green, and my tagline is... 
Christmas Carol Baskin. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to amaze and delight and one-up each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations, we won't be great at that. So, if the rest of the team deems your tangent unworthy, they will force to give me to give up one of my Sam bucks. <laughs> uh, it might also happen to someone else someday. And now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. Clumped in the corner of my room, unreachable by mop or broom, a tangled mass of this and that from atop my head or the tail of my cat. It plugs the drain of your bathroom sink, gets into your eyes and makes you blink. It's in your food of that, I'm sure. Lift up your sofa cushion. Look, there's more. (laughs) I know it keeps our bodies warm and protects a horse from insect swarms, but it just grows and grows and grows out of your head, your butt, your nose. It just grows and doesn't care that right now it's really hard to cut your hair. My hair is starting to get unwieldy, you guys. Mine too. Does yours have a pretty pretty thin line between unwieldy and wieldy? Yeah, I can feel like I'm right on the, I'm teetering on the edge right now. I just uh, did my sideburns myself. They are not even. So our topic for the day is hair. Sari, what is hair? <laughs> There's actually a pretty narrow answer for this, which is great yeah. compared to these mm-hmm. past couple episodes. So hair is made of keratin, and there are three-ish main types of hair. Ground hair, which is mostly used as insulation. So in, your, in a dog or in any sort of mammal, it would be like the softer undercoat. And then guard hair is used for protection from the elements and tends to be coarse. Human hair on our bodies tends to be in between those two ranges. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. those also encompass what we know as fur. So you could say that humans have fur, but that seems like a semantic (laughs) debate more than anything else. Yeah, and there's sort of like this weird fuzzy, there's not a fuzzy line, but it, it would appear to me to be a fuzzy line between hair and like certain things that non-mammals have that that act kind of hair-like. Certain feathers can be kind of hairish. Mm-hmm. Or a big furry moth. It, yeah, furry moth, great example. Chitin hairs. Yeah, and so there are a lot of things that we call hair across animals and plants. Like in plants, they're mm-hmm. called trichomes. And those oh, cool. are appendages that look like hair, but they're made of other things. Hair seems to be like the basis probably because humans have it and we came up with the language <laughs> to describe these things mm-hmm. and then pointed to another, a lot of organisms and we're like, well, that's hair-like, but technically is not keratinous hair. It's just like long, thin keratin. Well, not necessarily long. Could be short, thin keratin. Compared to the its, its width, even a short hair is very long. Yes. Okay, compared to its width. <laughs> I'm just trying to be clear that like a rhino's horn isn't hair. Yes. Is so, a porcupine's quill hair? Porcupine's quill is a modified hair. Pangolin scales are modified hair because they're a mammal. Wow. Wait, does fingernails modified hair? Did you say that already? That's an interesting question. I don't think so. We're going to have to turn it around and and just go ahead and say yes. And I know that the answer is no. (laughs) But I I want to imagine that at the base of each of my little fingernails, there's a a giant hair follicle that just shoots out this long, gross, flat hair. Yuck. Okay, me too. I like that. (laughs) It's probably modified from the same machinery that your 
nail bed is similar to a hair follicle in that it extrudes keratin. And then a rhino horn is also an, a modified hair. Yeah. Speaking of things that are sort of modified hair, reptilian scales and feathers, like you mentioned, Hank, are also mm-hmm. made of keratin. And so hair, scales, and feathers have probably a common ancestor at some point, but those mm-hmm. specialized differently. And the keratin in mammalian hair is softer forms. And then the keratin in feathers and scales is usually more specialized protein Mm. because it's harder, it's more protective, it does more things for those organisms. And where does the word hair come from, Sari? From Proto-Indo-European, there's a root word gers, G-H-E-R-S, which means to stand out, to bristle, to rise to a point, Mm. which is also the same root of horror, which I think is interesting because like your hair stands on end. And then Trico, the prefix, as in like trichotillomania or any sort of medical condition related to hair, that's a Greek prefix. Not sure where those two diverged. I googled around a little bit, could not find it. A linguist probably knows somewhere. And I guess that's where trichomes comes from, too. We were mm-hmm. like, well, that's not technically hair, so let's call it hair. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The rest of us have to try and figure out either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If we get it right, we get a sandbuck. If not, then Sari will get the sandbuck. Hit us with your facts. So which of these unusual types of animal hair is real? Number one, the Camarillo white horse is a rare breed known for its pure white color and exceptionally strong and fine tail hairs. In the 1920s to 1950s, they were used to craft the crosshairs in telescopic sights on hunting rifles. These mm. horse tail hairs were better than any synthetic strings at the time, which made them in high demand. So they were basically the materials for expensive artisanal rifles. Number two, the African crested rat has porous black and white hairs that soak up liquids really well, especially its spit mixed with toxins from chewing on the bark of Acocanthera shimperi which is a tree that contains oyabane, which is a heart-affecting poison that humans use to create poisoned arrows for hunting big game in the past. And mm-hmm. when this crested rat feels threatened, its specialized toxin-soaked hairs stand up like a mohawk to defend it from predators. Poison mohawk. Or number three, the Malabar giant squirrel is one of the largest squirrels in the world, growing over one foot long and over four pounds, but they also stand out in the forest with a multicolored coat that includes fairly bright maroon, cream, orange, and other colors that are unusual to mammal fur. In a 2019 study, researchers found that these colorful hairs have a unique structure that makes them fluoresce pink when exposed to gamma radiation because proteins in the hairs break down and then emit light. Wow. Okay. So our three facts, we've got the Camarillo white horse, which is a rare breed. Uh, And during the 1920s and 1950s, their fine tail hairs were used as crosshairs in uh, sights on hunting rifles. Or the African crested rat occasionally, when threatened, has a poisonous mohawk that it embeds poison into uh, its weird porous hairs, or the Malabar giant squirrel is beautiful and it has great colors, but also when exposed to gamma radiation, they fluoresce (laughs) pink 
because proteins break down and that could help us find areas contaminated with nuclear waste. Now, I know I've seen Malabar giant squirrels and they are as you described. Uh, I've never seen one in person. for <laughs> They are as you described them. They're very pretty and they do look kind of weird. Like mm-hmm. you don't see mammals these colors very often. I've never seen one exposed to gamma radiation. <laughs> also, I have a hard time imagining a situation in which a Malabar giant squirrel gets exposed to gamma radiation. It makes me think of the thing about scorpions like fluorescing under uh. UV light, which mm. is like a whole different thing. Do things fluoresce think. under gamma radiation? I'm trying to remember exactly what gamma radiation is, and I'm ashamed that I cannot, and I'm not going to Google it because oh, yeah. I think that, that that would be cheating, even if I didn't look up whether <laughs> squirrels did it. And I don't know if it is photonic or if it is some other particle. Dang, me either. Well, so crosshairs have to be named after something, or else she's counting <laughs> on us to think too, crosshairs are named yeah, after two something. Two on the nose. That's yeah. what I think. They must have been hairs at some point, because they've got to be like medieval, right? Crosshairs? I don't know. I don't know about that. You need crosshairs on your crossbow? I feel like, I I feel like you don't. I guess I don't know why this horse's hair uh-huh. would be yeah, particularly good you. for a crosshair. Versus other hairs. Here's the thing I know about people who shoot guns is that they want there to be something weird and exciting about their oh, thing. That's fair. And they're like, ooh, it's a gadget and it's from a <laughs> rare horse. And people are like, yes, I love that. Uh, this isn't just gun people. It's everybody's. Everybody loves a rare horse. <laughs> Plucked from the finest horse bottom. <laughs> And the middle one, and again, sounds like a Pokemon. I know she's done others <laughs> that sound like Pokemon and never end up being Pokemon, but... Okay, I'm going to go with that because, it, as usual, I'm going with the one that I most want to be real because mm. I want there to be a dangerous mohawk in the in the natural world. What are you doing, Sam? Uh, I might go with the horse one. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I think the, the, the squirrel one sounds like... Just not right to me. I'll do the squirrel. We're making it so that Sari's guaranteed two points. Fine, fine. <laughs> I love this for me. The correct one is the African crested rat with the poison mohawk. Not a Pokemon. But yeah, the African crested rat is a real thing. And they have some normal fur, but a ridge along their back is black and white fur that is described as like Swiss cheese on the outside. So there are bigger pores on the outside and then smaller fibers in the center. And they can lick or gnaw on the bark of this tree. And then the toxin mixes with their saliva. Somehow Mm -hmm. they're not poisoned. But when then they lick their fur, kind of like a cat does or any other animal that grooms, the toxins work their way into it. So when wild dogs bite down on them, um, they suffer from heart attacks because it's a cardiac poison. Wow. But then like, you get bit down on when yeah. you're a rat. Like, I don't know if you're going to make it through that. They're also extremely tough. So okay. it seems like the the rats that were studied had some sort of scars and like oh. battle wounds on them. So besides huh. developing an immunity to this poison, they also have a like extra tough skin so that they can withstand being bitten. They can take a chomp. Oh. They look like they could take a chomp. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of the African crested rat, and it is 
amazing. <laughs> I love it so. This is a this is a very good animal, and it is it it has the thing that all rats should have, which is a furry tail, yeah. and they they look way less creepy yeah. when they don't have a naked tail. I want one of these things in my house, except apparently they are not safe. Uh, don't just chomp don't bite them. It. You're fine. <laughs> all right, I'll make sure not to chomp one. Any truth in your fails? Yes. So the Camarillo white horse does exist, and it is a rare white horse. But as far as I know, they did, did not use the, their horse tail hairs for crosshairs. They are named crosshairs because hair was used, but mm. non-specific hair. There are records of very thin, strong, clear, natural things being used in crosshairs, particularly spider webs which was really interesting to me. So people would extract single webs from the butts of spiders and then string them to make very, very high quality crosshairs. When was this? There's a popular science article from 1953. Uh, So not crossbows. Not crossbows. There is a Malabar giant squirrel. That's a real thing. Yes. And I would encourage you to Google that one Mm. too because they're really pretty, but they do not fluoresce when exposed to gamma radiation. Flying squirrels in America and Canada fluoresce pink under UV light, which is very (laughs) weird because I thought I came up with this lie out of nothing and then had to modify it because it was like, oh no, squirrels do fluoresce under UV light. But I was reading an article. I don't know how I fell down this rabbit hole, but there is a cohort of scientists and maybe linguists who were wondering what to do with nuclear waste deposits in the future, because if we leave a written message, it's possible that the message won't be decoded in thousands of years or something because we Mm -hmm. don't understand language from thousands of years ago. So then they were like, what if we breed cats or something to glow when exposed to nuclear waste and gamma radiation so that people just like glowing cats are in the vocabulary and so it becomes like a cultural phenomenon. So it's like when a cat's a glow, you gotta go or something like that. Um, and so I, I, love, I love this. <laughs> Slap a skull on it. I feel like that's pretty, pretty safe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it does seem These squirrels like though are much bigger than they should be. It And they <laughs> look like rebellious teenagers with their like fur dyed yeah. red. It's I mean, weird. so does the African crested rat, though, yeah. but like in a different social group in high school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Malabar squirrel looks a little gothy to me. Yeah. Yeah, kind of kind of my chemical romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I think the African crested rat was probably listening to, mm. like, dead Kennedys. Duh. He's a crust punk for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Sari's got two points. Hank and Sam are tied with one, and Stefan doesn't have any. Stefan, though, it's time for you to try and make your way back, because it's time for the fact off. Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. And each of the presentees have a Sam book to award to the fact they like the most. And it's going to be me versus Stefan. Who's going to go first? It's going to be a trivia question. Let me know what it is. (laughs) All right. 
Hairballs are an inconvenience mostly suffered only by small cats, but in the last decade, two large cats, a lion and a tiger, at U.S. zoos have had hairballs surgically removed. And the hairballs were almost exactly the same size. How much did they weigh? It says here, answer in whole pounds. <laughs> yeah. So a lot, apparently. <laughs> I don't know that I would have gone to pounds. Uh, oh, I'm going to say 17 pounds. 17 pounds! <laughs> I will say five pounds. Oh, okay. Well, Hank wins because they weighed four pounds. Oh, Stefan, you were 17. really dreaming big. <laughs> well, I heard a story once about a man getting 17 pounds of poop removed from his intestine. <laughs> no. Which poop is much denser than hair, but yeah. I, yeah. I went for it. It's a tiger. Yeah. I guess I will go first because I want to. Imagine you want to because of course you do. Have a sort of census of all of the mammals that live in a specific part of the world at a very specific moment in time, but significantly in the past. Where would you go to gather that information? What would you look at? Because every animal is in its own situation, and many of them are very unlikely to fossilize, and so you'd be lucky to even get a look at a couple animals over like a thousand-year range. What if you could get all of those mammals all at once. Well, you can when you find a hyena latrine. So it turns out that hyenas, to mark their boundaries, like to all poop in the same place. And they also do other things in these areas. They like wipe their scent glands and they paw, which also there's scent glands in their hands. Um, so they're, they're these these boundary marking latrines to try and like establish that like this is this hyena their their like home territory and if you find a fossilized hyena latrine it turns out that that is extremely useful because hyenas eat a lot of different things and they eat them kind of willy-nilly not very carefully and so inside of the the fossilized poop you can tweeze out hairs. And so 257,000 years ago, a bunch of hyenas pooped in the same spot and our human endeavorous scientists found these uh, these fossilized poops and they found inside of the poop uh, impala, zebra, kudu, warthog hairs, but also the hairs of hominins. These are the oldest known human hairs in the world and they were found inside of hyena poop. And how did they get there? Yes, Yes, you're right. <laughs> Hyenas ate, ate, a, ate a person. Wow. <laughs> they ate a person, which still happens today. So, like, that's certainly not too much of a surprise. Now you know, if you want to do a census, all you got to find is a hyena latrine. I think that's how we should do our censuses now. There's a big problem in that we all have to get consumed at least a little bit by a hyena. How did they know which hair was which? Is there, like, a hair guide? So people know how wide yeah. or what color. They, I mean, I don't know that there's a hair guide. I don't know they've published a book on this, uh, but <laughs> the the people who study it, they publish papers about how to identify individual kinds of hairs. And conversation about human hair is sort of like paramount in that because it's a it's sort of like a big deal to try and understand where humans were. Does hair pretty much last forever? Hair lasts a really long time. Um, I I think that hair. You know, if you if you like had it in a place where it wasn't experiencing any physical trauma, 
um, and it wasn't being hit by light and there wasn't any moisture around that maybe it could last basically forever. But what tends to happen is that it, hair doesn't last much longer than this because it tends to sort of grind up mm. into dust pretty easily mm-hmm. once it gets old. And the oldest hair that we know of, not human hair, but the oldest hair we know of is was trapped in amber what? and it is many millions of years old. All right. So people love to dye their hair for fun and fashion, but traditional hair dyes have some toxicity to them and they tend to damage your hairs. So the outer layer of hair is a bunch of these overlapping cells that are kind of scaly. And in order to get the dye into the hair so that it lasts, you have to get the cells to swell and open up enough Mm. to let those dyes in. And that is, I think, what is damaging the hair. But you could also use a dye that just coats the hair instead of trying to get inside. But then those dyes are much more easily washed off. And so they're just very temporary. So this team at Northwestern University has made a hair dye that uses graphene. And so graphene is the one atom thick sheets of carbon that you normally would hear about in techie things like solar cells or touchscreens or futuristic materials or whatever. But in this case, they're using these sheets of carbon to create a super thin uniform coating on each hair. And it's a a water-based process, and I guess they use vitamin C to reduce the graphene oxide into RGO. I don't know if that stands for reduced graphene oxide or, or what, but they made sure to point out that it has no toxic molecular or volatile components. The whole process takes less than 10 minutes and you basically spray it on or brush it in. And once it dries, then there's a, a uniform, really thin coating on, on your hair and there's no pretreatment or anything required. And that coating means that water can't really get in, um, so it resists erosion So even though it's just a coating on top of the hair, it lasts through more than 30 washes, which I think is the requirement for being called a permanent dye. (laughs) The drawback here is that because graphene is black, so you can only really make your hair darker. You can't go the other way. They did say they were going to experiment with other colors, but they were able to do gradients of darkness. And they did tensile strength tests to make sure that it wasn't damaging the hair and making it more fragile. But the most fun parts to me are that because graphene is conductive, the coated hairs are better at dissipating static electricity. So during the winter, when the air is really dry and there's all this static, like normally your hair might be flying all over the place, but the the graphene-coated hair was just sort of hanging normally. The coated hairs also dissipate heat faster, um, and so they think it could help prevent heat buildup on your scalp for added comfort. The only thing that might be a problem and that they didn't really investigate here is like what happens once you it actually does wash out of your hair and it's going through the water treatment systems and maybe making it out mm. into the environment. Yeah. I did see a study that was looking at using graphene oxide in water treatment plants to like trap other pol- particles and things. So uh, I don't know, but that sounds like it's good then. That's good. <laughs> it traps the particles. <laughs> they also because of the electro the like conductivity of it they were <laughs> thinking that you could like integrate this into like wearable technology somehow and use the your hairs as the electrodes of oh, whatever avatar. the device is <laughs> that's avatar <laughs> so like nice they, they've got some ideas all right so we have these two facts we've got graphene based 
hair dye coating each hair in a thin uniform carbon sheet or we've got me with the hairy census of ancient mammals using the latrines of ancient hyenas you guys ready three two one hank stefan ah dang it (laughs) come on Stefan appealed specifically to me as the one person with regularly dyed hair on this podcast. Now it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch, in quotation marks, of finely honed scientific minds. This is from at NotBroadway27. What causes hair to go gray and how does that happen? I don't know the answer to this question, but I do know that eyelashes go gray but way later than hairs. Oh. That is the only fact I have that is related to this. Great, good yeah. one. Is it stress? No, not really. <laughs> there is a way that it can be stress, which is that when you stress, you produce a lot of a hormone called uh, norepinephrine that kills off some of the stem cells, I think. And those are the key to color. So melanocytes are the cells that produce melanin And inside or near the hair follicles, you have melanocytes that generate melanin that will be inside the hair and color the hair as it grows out your head. So when those get damaged in some way or stop producing melanin over time genetically, then that's when you have gray or white hair. Scientists aren't exactly sure what happens, but it seems to be that norepinephrine somehow catalyzes the process of those stem cells becoming melanocytes, which then break down before the hair follicles in its growing phase. And so it's like prepared to put color in the hair, but then because you're stressed, it like does that too early. So they're broken down and then cannot actually produce melanin when your hair is growing. But also when you're stressed, uh, I think cortisol is the hormone that causes your hair to fall out more frequently, like it messes with the growth cycle of your hair. I think two to three months after an extremely stressful event is usually when it manifests in the growth cycle of your hair and it starts falling out. And so when you're like, I've been in a really stressful position for X amount of years, then it's likely that most of your normally colored hair has fallen out. And then the the new white Mm -hmm. or gray hair is growing in. Or people in public positions, like the people say, like the president gets gray hair because the job is so stressful. Mm-hmm. And so it could be partially because of stress, but also just because that's like the average genetic age ish <laughs> when people start getting gray mm-hmm. hair. You're getting older and life is getting stressful and you're getting gray hair. And none of those things are related to each other. <laughs> it's just what happens when you get older because mm-hmm. like all this annoying stuff is happening. <laughs> And you have to, like, take care of your family. <laughs> and your parents are older and sick. Yeah. Oh, and gosh. you got, it's just like, it's stressful being old. So it's, I'm any day now. I am I am 40 years old. And I still don't have, like, any gray hairs. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm winning. I got gray hair when I was uh, yeah. 13. Oh. In, in, yeah. in, like, middle school, I got a bunch of gray hair. Were you really stressed out in middle school? <laughs> Well, my parents yeah. got divorced and I was in oh. middle school, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that might be part of why, but, yeah. but maybe not. I don't know. 
If you want to ask the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Apatha Kelly, at Westerly Wick, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Sam Buck, final score! Sari and Hank win with two points each. Sam and Stefan come in with one. Mm-hmm. Sam Buck totals. I'm still in last, uh, but only by two points now. Sam, Stefan, and Sari are clustered right around each other at 40, 41, and 42. Two points. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. You can leave a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Do you have stomach pain, nausea, no appetite, real bad constipation, and have lots of long hair? Well, you might have a trichobezoar. So a bezoar, I think we've talked about them before, is a massive indigestible material that builds up in Uh digestive systems. And a trichobezoar Uh is one of those, but made of hair. So in humans, they're not, they're super, super rare. And they mostly exist in people with trichotillophagia. People who eat their own hair. Yeah, compulsive hair eating. But they can plug you up really effectively because they kind of like fill whatever void they're in. And one particularly extreme example was removed from a human and it weighed two pounds. 17 pounds? 17 pounds? (laughs) Was it 17 pounds? Two pounds, which is half of what the tigers weighed, which is like pretty big. People are a lot smaller than tigers. It was eight inches long and it had taken the shape of the patient's stomach because that's how like the volume it had filled up with the stomach. But they had to surgically remove it? They surgically removed it and there are some... Gross pictures that you can find if you are so inclined. We won't put them at scishowtangents.org. You will have to go find them on your own. (laughs) One of the captions is even gross picture of the trichobezoar. (laughs) So like the, the scientists doing this study knew it was gross and put it in there.